0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, March 24th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Toppsher. And here are today's headlines. TikTok CEO
1: testifies before Congress.
0: Israel's Knesset passes a law making it harder to remove a prime minister.
1: Biden is accused of feeding the media false stories on the Nord Stream pipeline blasts.
0: Indian opposition leader Rahul Gandhi is jailed over a Modi comment.
1: The New York grand jury investigating Trump is postponed for a week.
0: Ex-UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is grilled by members of parliament over Partygate.
1: Yemen sees renewed fighting after 10 months of relative calm.
0: A U.S. judge orders a $1.68 billion payout over the 1983 Beirut bombing.
1: The Bank of England raises interest rates by a quarter percent.
0: And Canada sees a record one million in population growth.
1: In our first story today, TikTok's CEO testifies before Congress. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Reuters, Axios, TechCrunch and The Guardian. In his first appearance before Congress on Thursday, TikTok CEO Sho Chu was questioned by U.S. lawmakers concerned about the platform's suspected ties to China, users' privacy, and its impact on children. During the more than five hours of testimony, Chu repeatedly denied the app shares data or has connections with the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, and argued the platform was doing everything to ensure the safety of its 150 million American users. While the CCP says there's no evidence that TikTok threatens national security, the Biden administration has threatened to ban the app if its parent company, ByteDance, doesn't sell its stake in the U.S. version of the app. Thursday's hearing saw Chu commit to deleting all U.S. user data from company servers by the end of the year, a move in line with Project Texas, which involves the relocation of U.S. user data to Oracle servers based in the U.S., where the data would then be overseen by American personnel. Lawmakers on both sides were skeptical of Chu's pitch— with Senators Mark Warner, Democrat of Virginia, and John Thune, Republican of South Dakota, issuing a statement that all Chinese companies do the bidding of Chinese intelligence services. Meanwhile, China's Commerce Ministry has warned that requiring ByteDance to sell its stake in the company would discourage investors from all over the world, including China, from investing in the United States
0: all right those are the facts that our sources agree on and here are the narratives we've separated where those sources differ let's start with the pro establishment spin from the new york post the u.s has no choice but to ban TikTok. the data the app gathers is too powerful and beijing unquestionably extorts chinese companies to advance their own interests the ccp cannot be allowed to have access to important data from tens of millions of americans Too much is at stake to allow TikTok to continue collecting information on its U.S. users.
1: And here's an establishment critical narrative from USA Today. Talk about banning TikTok shows just how out of touch U.S. lawmakers are. Fearmongering legislators paint TikTok and China as boogeymen, while completely ignoring Facebook, Google, and Twitter's invasion of privacy. Under the guise of caring about its citizens' privacy, the U.S. government is merely flexing its muscles against China.
0: New thing on TikTok, at least that I've seen, is so they have they have videos on there, and then they can have videos where people are reacting to watching a video, like their selfie camera is oh, on. Oh yeah, you got like while a split they're watching screen. the video. Yep. And then they are having people reacting to those reaction videos. Oh, my God. And before you know it, it's like Brady Bunch of a million people <laughs> reacting to people reacting. So, right. You're like, oh, now I'm on a Zoom call. Right. Exactly. So I've been enjoying that.
1: Yeah. Nice. What's your favorite one so far?
0: Uh, I mean, there's the ones the uh, <laughs> where uh, <clears throat> someone is... Uh, cooking and they're not cooking in a way that might be as sanitary as you might prefer. So then yeah. there's someone who's singing, you can't eat at everyone's house. And then like cooking in the sink or something weird, you know, like, like yeah. something, it's just not quite what you would want.
1: Or they've or, got the, or, the the metal pan, but they forgot to take the piece of paper out of the bottom and they just that, start Something putting... like that.
0: Exactly. Or someone was like showing a life tip of, you know, you can just take your toilet seat off and you can just put it right in the dishwasher, and <laughs> it's like, which is true, but not ideal, you know. Let's so keep then that those one, two separate. So then that one person will sing to that, and then the next person will sing harmonizing with that person, and then someone starts playing the drums, wow. and they keep layering over, so it's this amazing song about and it's just this poor person putting their toilet seat in the uh, dishwasher so, so it's good stuff it's just good stuff
1: oh man
0: israel's knesset passes a law limiting conditions for the removal of a prime minister here are the facts as agreed upon by the times of israel associated press cnn and reuters on thursday israel ratified a law limiting the circumstances in which a prime minister can be removed. In a 61-47 vote, the Knesset approved the bill that would allow only the prime minister himself, or two-thirds of the cabinet, to declare the leader unfit. The cabinet vote would then need to be ratified by a supermajority in the parliament. Thursday's legislation is one of several laws that comprise its contentious judicial reform and comes as thousands of demonstrators gathered throughout Israel in a fourth midweek day of protests. Tens of thousands have been attending weekly protests every Saturday for two months. Meanwhile, after local media reported that Defense Minister Yoav Gallant was expected to give a statement calling for an immediate halt to the judicial overhaul, Netanyahu's office said the Prime Minister would issue an important declaration on Thursday night. Netanyahu, originally due to speak at 8 p.m. local time, pushed back his scheduled appearance to 8.40 p.m. and summoned Gallant for a meeting. It's unknown whether the defense minister is still expected to speak. Opposition politicians and protesters claim that the judicial reforms are leading Israel toward autocracy. Meanwhile, Netanyahu, on trial for corruption charges, he denies, says the reforms are needed to restore the balance between the branches of government.
1: Thank you, Scott, for laying out the facts on that story. We'll begin this round of narrative spins with the left narrative from the Middle East Eye. Israel is on the verge of becoming a dictatorship as Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition dismantles all obstacles in his path to unlimited power, as evidenced by this latest bill, which is a self-serving tool to safeguard his iron grip on the nation. Many Israelis know the danger that could come if Netanyahu's judicial reforms come to fruition and the courts lose their authority. Something must be done to stop this
0: autocratic coup. And the Jerusalem Post brings us a right narrative. There are many vocal opponents trying to paint Israel's judicial reform as a far-right takeover, but that is far from the truth. The reality is actually quite the opposite. The self-appointed Israeli Supreme Court has autocratic unchecked powers that allow it to nullify and rewrite democratically enacted laws and policies on the basis of subjective justifications. Consequently, these reforms are crucial to curb the court's undemocratic excesses and protect the rule of law.
1: Netanyahu, what a diva. He's like, I'm not coming out uh, 40 minutes. I need more work on my hair.
0: I've, uh, it reminds me of a concert I was at one time. I went and saw Guns N' Roses in Philadelphia before I moved here. Ah. And this concert was supposed to start at eight o'clock, I think. The openers came on and Guns N' Roses, you know, then they had the openers played. It was like Bam Margera's band, CKY, played the opener. <laughs> and then the middle act, was, this was back in like 2002 or something. I was going to say, and this is the, when
1: Jackass was, was a hot Oh, thing. yeah,
0: this was a hot thing. And then the middle act was Mixmaster Mike, who's the DJ from the Beastie Boys. Right. But just Mixmaster Mike. Okay. I think Mixmaster Mike was then going to do like a DJ set and then Guns N' Roses was going to come out. And Mixmaster Mike probably DJed for like an hour and a half and no one was coming out. And then eventually he stopped and everyone was getting pretty. This is getting pretty long. It was like 11 o'clock and it was getting pretty contentious. Philadelphia also not a city known for great tall, you know, city of brotherly love is an ironic, uh, moniker. Yeah. And yeah. We've got opinions some, in Philly. And, yeah, and then at some point, a couple of guys in black t-shirts came out and started taking the speakers off the stage and somebody threw, and I remember it had just come out. Sierra mist was brand new. <laughs> and someone threw like a green sierra mist large soda from the upper deck and it hit one of the guys that were moving the uh Uh-oh. the speakers yeah and then the crowd rioted it was a total riot it was it was actually a full on so riot
1: guns and roses never came out
0: they never came out and they never They're came they
1: were just like concert's over yep. that's it all it never happened
0: can. later reading the news the next day Axel Rose never left New York City the night before from their concert at Madison Square Garden. He got caught up doing something and never, never came. The rest of the band was apparently there and they were waiting for him. Oh. So, so it was a whole thing. I mean, if you look up First Union Center, Guns N' Roses, Riot, this will just come right up. Mm. I was there. I didn't see. We got a full refund, but it was a kind of a pain in the butt.
1: Biden is accused of feeding the media false stories on the Nord Stream pipeline blasts. Here, the facts is agreed upon by Seymour Hirsch, RT, Ukraine Forum, and Institute for the Study of War. Veteran investigative reporter Seymour Hirsch alleged on Wednesday that U.S. President Biden and his administration fed U.S. and German media false cover stories of how the Nord Stream pipelines were destroyed following Hirsch's expose on how it had allegedly been conducted and who was responsible for the attack. In February, Hirsch, citing an unnamed U.S. source who he claimed had direct knowledge of the operational planning of the attack, reported that U.S. Navy divers operating under the cover of a NATO exercise in the Baltic Sea planted remotely triggered explosives that were set off three months later to destroy three of the four pipelines. In early March, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz traveled to the White House for a meeting with Biden, During the talks, according to a source with access to diplomatic intelligence, the CIA were asked to prepare a cover story in collaboration with German intelligence that would provide the American and German press with an alternative version for the destruction of Nord Stream 2, reported Hirsch. Shortly thereafter, stories appeared in the New York Times and the German weekly Zeit* that alleged that a pro-Ukrainian group carried out an ad hoc of the book's operation in which a luxury sailing yacht was allegedly used to plant the explosives on the pipelines. It was a total fabrication by American intelligence that was passed along to Germans and aimed at discrediting your story, Hirsch's source said. Elsewhere in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, Ukrainian officials said on Thursday that the death toll from an earlier drone attack on the Kyiv region rose to nine dead and seven injured. Meanwhile, two civilians were killed and four were injured in Russian attacks on the Donetsk region in the past day. One civilian was killed and two were injured in attacks on Kherson, while attacks were also recorded in the regions of Sumy, Kharkiv, and Zaporizhia, with no additional reports of casualties at this stage. Meanwhile, in Bakhmut, the Donetsk city at the center of months of fighting, the Institute for the Study of War, a U.S. military-affiliated think tank, assessed that Russia continued to make marginal gains in and around the city, but said that its tempo of operations appears to be slowing amid reports that Russian forces are being redeployed elsewhere.
0: All right. Thanks for that rundown of the conflict, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from The New York Times. While inconclusive, intelligence reviewed by U.S. officials suggests that the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines was carried out by a pro-Ukrainian group that viewed Russia's ability to sell gas to Europe as a threat to ongoing European support for Ukraine. However, the mystery of who was responsible remains largely unsolved.
1: And right from Seymour Hirsch, here's an establishment critical narrative. The U.S. was responsible for blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines. After Hirsch's expose, the CIA sought to muddy the waters and provide an alternative story to shift the blame elsewhere.
0: And from time to time, we have a statistics-based nerd narrative from the people at Metaculus. This one says there's a 10 percent chance that Russia will capture or surround a large Ukrainian city before June 1st, 2023. All right,
1: this is my second time where I, it's obviously I just want to join the U.S. Navy, but sure. how cool would that be to get paid to dive down, uh, uh, to pretend you're on this yacht and then dive down and uh, maybe not arm it, arm the uh, gas pipeline with explosives, but I don't know, getting paid to be a diver and do exciting things, that sounds well, fun.
0: Also, do you have to pretend that you're like a luxury yacht goer while you're up, up top side on the yacht, right? So That's- you have to like... Like, I
1: think that's where I would thrive. Like yeah, that's where yeah. the acting challenge comes so in, So you'd right? be the
0: person like, "Okay, I need some oil here. Like let's let's do this." You know. Right. And, like
1: I'd be like, "I need to buy the most extravagant bathing suit. Right. Diamonds." Like, well, the,
0: the US hat. government needs to buy it for you. So you're basically yes. you want to be like james bond or something but uh yeah yeah i the think nautical, so you want to be captain nautical version of james bond
1: right yeah. i'm just gonna have to ask the u.s navy to give me a little more freedom in terms of
0: <laughs> what orders they give me i would so. like a license to kill please right that's what i need <laughs> and in india rahul gandhi is jailed for his comment on modi Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC TV 18, The Economic Times, Reuters, India Today, The Indian Express, and BBC News. On Thursday, a court in India sentenced opposition leader Rahul Gandhi to two years in jail in a 2019 criminal defamation case over his remarks about Prime Minister Narendra Modi's surname. Gandhi reportedly asked at an election rally But tell me one thing Narav Modi, Lalit Modi, Narendra Modi. How come they all have Modi as the common name? How come all the thieves have Modi as the common name? Narav Modi is a fugitive Indian diamond tycoon charged by Interpol with criminal conspiracy, while Lalit Modi is a fugitive businessman and founder of the Indian Premier League, reportedly hiding in London. In his defense of being accused of defaming the entire Modi community, Gandhi told the court, I have always raised my voice against corruption. My intention was never wrong or to hurt anyone. The district court in Gujarat's Surat, which found Gandhi's comment defamatory, later suspended the sentence for 30 days and granted bail to allow him to appeal in a higher court. Meanwhile, Gandhi may be disqualified as a member of parliament in line with the representation of the People Act of 1951, which says a lawmaker can be disqualified if convicted and imprisoned for two years or more.
1: Okay, those were the facts. And here are the narrative spins. We'll start with narrative A, written by India TV News. The judgment shows no one is above the law and can escape due judicial process for scurrilous statements, scandalous comments, and defamatory remarks. India is a democracy. However, no citizen is free to throw inflammatory abuses at anyone. The sentence will set a precedent that insulting people by citing their caste or targeting them for their surname is inexcusable, even for politicians. Rahul Gandhi must learn a lesson from his conviction and choose his words before speaking in the future.
0: And narrative B comes from the Deccan Herald. The court proceedings were flawed since Prime Minister Narendra Modi, the main target of Rahul Gandhi's speech, was not the complainant in the so-called defamation case. Gandhi is getting punished for exercising his democratic right to speak his opinion and raise his voice against corruption and injustice. It is an attempt to influence the judiciary and eliminate opposition by prosecuting non-BJP leaders. Nonetheless, the law will also catch up with the motor mouths of the BJP sooner than later.
1: And here's another nerd narrative saying there's a 53% chance that there will be a non-BJP prime minister of India before 2030. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community.
0: It feels like Raul Gandhi is just begging someone to remind people whose last name he has, right?
1: Yeah. Let's talk about people's last names, people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's what I want to talk about today. Last name based <laughs> criticism. And you want to turn it back around on me? Yeah. Let's do it.
1: That, <laughs> it's a really good point. In New York, Trump's grand jury is postponed for a week. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, The Wall Street Journal, Associated Press, and CNN. The New York grand jury weighing whether to charge former President Trump for paying adult film actress Stormy Daniels reportedly will not convene about the case for the rest of the week. Instead, it will meet about a different case and reconvene for the Trump case Monday. This comes after the grand jury meeting Wednesday was reportedly called off without a public explanation by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office. Last weekend, Trump made a series of posts on social media saying he expected to be criminally charged and called on his supporters to protest. He also criticized Bragg and the investigation. Trump could face charges of falsifying business records related to the $130,000 payment made through his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. It's alleged the payment was to keep Daniels quiet about an affair with Trump prior to the 2016 election. Trump denies the affair. In its only meeting of the week, the Grand Jury Monday heard from Robert Costello, an attorney who had worked for Trump associates Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani. Costello was expected to offer evidence contradicting Cohen's testimony. It's not yet clear when Bragg will finish his investigation, but the New York Police Department has been making physical preparations for any unrest surrounding a possible indictment, including dropping off portable metal barricades to be used to block off streets or sidewalks.
0: All right, we have a pro-Trump narrative from Fox News. This so-called case against Trump is so weak that Bragg has had to send the grand jury home for the week. The former president has maintained his innocence throughout the process, and Bragg even once suspended the investigation. The federal government and its federal election commission each opted not to pursue investigations on this matter. Bragg is obviously coming to terms with the fact that this political witch hunt is going nowhere.
1: And here's the Democratic narrative from MSNBC. We have no idea why Bragg has called off the grand jury for the week. It could be an administrative or scheduling issue, or it could be Bragg is attempting to call a new witness. The district attorney has at least a few more months to keep the grand jury seated while making a case against Trump, meaning one week off won't change the facts about Trump's action.
0: And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculous. This one says there is a 90 percent chance that Donald Trump will be indicted on criminal charges in 2023. You ever had jury duty, Melissa? I, I don't want to answer that and anger the gods. Oh, I see. Yeah. See, you don't move enough. See, I, I've moved enough times that I've gotten jury duty summonses, but I've already moved away. You know, you can only... Ah. So like I, I got... When I moved to San Jose, I got one that was, hey, in San Francisco, we need you. Sorry, moved away. I got one in <sighs> Seattle for San Jose, and I'm sure in a year or two, I'll get one from Seattle now that I live across the country. So right. I've uh, I've dodged it. But okay, nice honestly... Job. Yeah, thank you. Honestly though, I I I have low standards and questionable self-esteem and I often think <laughs> about like I could go for that like free chicken salad sandwich. Like that would be kind of cool, right?
1: Yeah, oh, are you saying like you wouldn't want you on your jury? Or or you are you say, oh, you're saying you yeah. would you would, would want pro- to be on jury duty for a free sandwich.
0: I'm afraid I would pronounce myself guilty. That's how low my <laughs> self-esteem is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Screw this guy. I don't like the look of him. Send me another <laughs> I'd be concerned that I, whatever I was on the jury, would try to stretch out the deliberations to get like the neck get over the line for the next free lunch. That's what I'd be concerned ah. about.
1: Ah. Well, you know, valid point. And it, it's spoken like a true actor.
0: Mm, yeah is there free food here is yeah there
1: a sandwich in this for me
0: the the crew the cruel thing about acting and the craft service stuff is that the best food is available right when you like don't want like can i like not look bloated and can I look a little skinny today and like oh i have all the bagels you want no oh yeah yeah we're having we're worst. having
1: carne asada for lunch
0: we're Yeah, having- like <laughs> tacos
1: now try to <laughs> squeeze into this cheerleading outfit yeah
0: exactly <laughs> uh so that's that's the and I could only imagine if you're like a movie star like you're gonna be on set for six months and there's gonna be lobster thermidor every day like oh my gosh I just you're need like to be I don't skinny. even know what that
1: is and I I'm want it. I'm supposed
0: to take my shirt off like two months from now. Right. I'm trying to stay skinny. Can you not keep giving me a bagel sandwich every morning, please?
1: <laughs> no. Find me the most, the most appealing, well branded like uh you know, paleo vegan whatever. Yeah. Suck the all the body. The only thing you can't body. do
0: as an actor is get fat. Like, that's the only, that's the only, like, what could happen to your career? Like, well, you, you know, you ate yourself out of Hollywood. That's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's all they try to do is give the minute that you get on set, they're just trying to give you food.
1: Yeah. <sighs> it's like a cruel twilight zone, right? It's yes. like you finally, you've made it. Now here's yep. all the food. And now, yep. but you y- gotta you're stay out. skinny. Yep, yeah.
0: You're out. Yep. Damn it. Yeah. <sighs> Now I'm hungry and I'm not a working actor. (laughs) Great. (laughs) On Wednesday, former U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson faced the seven-member Commons Privileges Committee as part of an investigation into whether he knowingly misled Parliament about a series of gatherings in Downing Street that broke COVID lockdown restrictions. Johnson argued with lawmakers during the three-hour hearing, admitting that he had broken social distancing rules and misled lawmakers, but claiming that he did so unintentionally. In December 2021, reports of the parties appeared, with Johnson insisting that he and his staff had always adhered to the COVID regulations in place at the time. This was later found to be untrue. During the hearing, the former leader rejected suggestions that he should have been aware of social distancing rules and restrictions, saying... If it was obvious to me these events were contrary to the guidance and the rules, it must have been equally obvious to dozens of others, including the most senior officials in the government, most of them like me responsible for drawing up the rules. Johnson also defended the rule-breaking events, including a birthday gathering for which he was fined, as being necessary for work purposes. Committee Chair Harriet Harmon called Johnson's reasoning flimsy, saying it did not amount to much at all. If the committee finds Johnson to have deliberately misled lawmakers, he could be suspended. Any suspension lasting longer than 10 days could lead to an election to remove him from his parliamentary seat.
1: Thank you for the facts, Scott. We'll start this round with a right narrative spin. This comes from The Spectator. It's very likely that Boris Johnson knowingly misled Parliament. However, he will probably survive any recall petition or by-election thrown at him, and the former prime minister is still well-loved in his constituency. While Johnson in his prime achieved more than the likes of Theresa May or Gordon Brown, the hour for him to return has now passed. If Johnson's ambition is still unquenched, he must ride out the current investigation and set his sights on a new objective.
0: And the left narrative comes from the mirror. Rule breaker Boris Johnson has lost whatever shred of dignity he used to have. The former prime minister is mistaking the UK for fools, pretending he was unaware that he was breaking the regulations that he himself imposed. In reality, his misrepresentation of the truth has more than tarnished his image.
1: And another nerd narrative saying there's a 14% chance that Boris Johnson will return as the leader of the UK Conservative Party before 2026. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction community.
0: Not cool, Boris. Don't throw everyone else, all your buddies, under the bus, too. Just take the hit. You're already in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's not just me. It's everyone else there,
1: too. Hello. That's a that's a total... Uh, that's like a middle child uh, yeah. move right there. So, well. He did it, and so did he. Renewed fighting in Yemen tests 10 months of calm. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, Al Arabia, France 24, and CNN. After 10 months of relative calm, fighting broke out this week in Yemen's energy-rich Marib province. The recent stretch of peace has been the longest seen by Yemen during its eight-year civil war. Military and government sources have revealed that clashes erupted late on Tuesday when the Houthi rebels, who control most of northern Yemen, launched an attack on the Harib district in the Marib province. At least 10 soldiers were killed in the renewed fighting as the Iran-backed Houthi militia attacked a mountainous area and have been engaging in a buildup of forces in the region. Fighting has erupted in the same district where at least four soldiers were killed last month, and it threatens to undermine new optimism after Saudi Arabia and Iran agreed to restore diplomatic ties. The UN has also been working to extend the ceasefire in Yemen, which has largely held since April 2022, despite the UN's official agreement having expired in October. Last week, Hans Grunberg, the UN Special Envoy for Yemen, said the overall military situation in the country continues to be relatively stable, and that elements of the truce are still being implemented. However, he expressed concern about emerging clashes.
0: Thanks for that rundown of the facts, Melissa. We have an establishment critical narrative from Jacobin. Unfortunately, after eight years of fighting and bloodshed, there is still no end in sight to Yemen's catastrophic war. While a few months of relative calm ignited hope for an end to the conflict, serious negotiations failed and the warring factions were unable to reach a sustainable agreement. The damage is done and there is little impetus among the international community to end this war. And here's a pro-establishment narrative from AP News. The international
1: community is working diligently to bring about a diplomatic solution to end the eight-year Yemen war, and there are positive signs that could signal peace in the future. With the UN's help, Meaningful conversations are taking place between key players in the conflict, and we could soon see a real improvement in the situation in Yemen.
0: A U.S. judge orders a $1.68 billion payout over the 1983 Beirut bombing. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The National, Associated Press, and Al Jazeera. On Wednesday, a U.S. federal judge ordered that Iran's central bank and a European intermediary must pay out $1.68 billion to the family members of soldiers killed in the 1983 bombing of a U.S. Marine Corps barracks in Beirut. New York District Judge Loretta Preska said that a 2019 federal law denied Bank Markazi, Iran's central bank, sovereign immunity from the lawsuit. This is intended to enforce a ruling against Iran for providing material support to the bombing's perpetrators. The lawsuit further identifies Luxembourg-based Clearstream Banking for holding the assets in a client account. The bank's parent company, Deutsche Boers AG, stated it was considering an appeal. Victims and their families received a $2.65 billion judgment against Iran in federal court in 2007 about the attack. Six years after, they tried to seize bonds proceeds allegedly owned by Iran's central bank and managed by Clearstream to partially fulfill the court's ruling. More recently, France asked Lebanese prosecutors to detain Youssef al-Khalil and Sana'a al-Khalil for their suspected involvement in the bombing, which also killed multiple French troops. In 1983, a truck loaded with explosives destroyed the marine barracks killing 241 U.S. service personnel and 58 French peacekeepers.
1: All right, those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins. We'll begin with a pro-establishment narrative from Fox News. The victims of this terrible terrorist attack deserve every bit of compensation that can be legally granted to them. The U.S. deployed to Lebanon to protect Lebanese citizens and Palestinian refugees in the country. But Iran cynically used the U.S. presence to its advantage by attacking the Marine barracks via one of its proxy militias. The victims and their families deserve justice.
0: And the establishment critical narrative comes from al Though the media often say that Hezbollah was behind the Marine barracks bombing, in reality we may never know who exactly committed the attack. Lebanon was in a full-scale civil war with a myriad of different factions and armed groups fighting nationwide. Hezbollah didn't even exist in 1983. The group was still forming in the wake of Israel's brutal occupation of the South.
1: The Bank of England raises rates by 0.25%. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Wall Street Journal, and The Guardian. The Bank of England voted seven to two Thursday to raise interest rates another quarter percentage point, bringing the benchmark rate to 4.25%. It also said it expects inflation to cool faster than expected despite a surprise jump in prices last month. Previously, the central bank indicated it might pause rate increases, but the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey said Despite expectations that inflation will fall, we need to see that happening. His comment comes as February saw an unexpected jump in inflation from 10.1% in January to 10.4% last month, fueled by food prices accelerating at the fastest pace in 45 years. This move mirrors that of other central banks across the world, including the U.S. Federal Reserve's 0.25% rate hike Wednesday. The European central bank's 0.5% rate increase last week, and the Swiss national bank's lifting of its rate to 1.5% Thursday. Investors in futures markets reportedly had prepared for a 0.25% hike, with the British sterling strengthening against the U.S. dollar.
0: And this establishment-critical narrative is raised by The Telegraph. Just as Boris Johnson is answering for his mistakes and the U.S. Fed for its role in recent bank failures... The Bank of England cannot be let off scot-free. The bank was slow to act when inflation began, crippling the economy and has since poorly implemented solutions. Although these rate hikes are necessary, those in charge at the Bank of England should be held accountable for their failures. And a
1: pro-establishment narrative has emerged from the Bank of England. Though Britons may not have felt it quite yet, wholesale energy prices have fallen significantly, which means prices of goods are expected to follow suit in the near future. The Bank of England has brought this about through its rate hikes, the most recent of which will likely be the end of its monetary tightening as the economy shifts back toward normal. This economic crisis has been a complicated battle, but projections show the U.K. will will soon see the light at the end of the tunnel. How do you feel about that term, scot-free?
0: I wonder, I don't know, I mean, I found it interesting they said scot-free when talking about the Bank of England. You know, ah. the, you know, Scots and things like that, I'm sure is controversial. I don't I don't I don't know where it's from. I mean, it's it's it is S.C.O.T. free. Right. So it feels like it's based on the Scottish people or the Scottish land or something. I imagine my my cynical side and uh, my sympathetic side for my people would say, you know, something is better if there's no Scots around, you know, scot free. Oh uh,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what the uh, origin is. But it's I'm, an I'm ancient
1: mixed... Scottish derogatory term.
0: It seems like it's an ancient Scottish, yeah, put down. That's what it seems like. Yeah. <clears throat> Our final story, a report is claiming that immigration is fueling a record-high population growth in Canada. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Statistics Canada, BBC News, CTV News, CBC and Reuters. Canada's population increased by over a million for the first time in its history in 2022, Government Census Agency Statistics Canada said on Wednesday. The country's population was estimated at 39,566,248 on January 1st of 2023, after a record population annual growth rate of 2.7% since 1957. The previous spike in population was fueled by the post-World War II baby boom and high immigration of refugees following the Hungarian Revolution of 1956, In 2022, international migration accounted for nearly 96% of the population growth in Canada. Statistics Canada noted the biggest one-year population growth was encouraged by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's efforts to recruit migrants to the country to ease labor shortages and accommodate people fleeing from the Russian invasion of Ukraine and other complex emergencies. Canada depends on immigration to bolster the gap in its economy created by an aging population, However, a 2.7 increase yearly would lead to the population doubling in about 26 years. And here are the
1: emerging spins on this story with the right narrative coming from the Wall Street Journal. While a growing population brings new energy and ideas, it comes as Canada struggles with a serious housing crisis. The country needs three and a half million additional homes above current home building projections by 2030 to restore housing affordability. The government can increase immigration and help corporations, but it must remember a country can't build a thriving economy on temporary residents who threaten
0: to congest the existing health, public, and social services. And the left narrative comes from the Washington Post. The Canadian system absorbs well-educated, highly skilled, and entrepreneurial migrants with strong earnings prospects to support its economy. Canada never puts refugees or immigrants in shelters for political stunts in It puts them to work, as immigration is a vital part of solving the acute labor market shortages and building a strong economy into the future. I think it's amazing what hockey players are able to do. They're basically doing two different sports at the same time. They're basically playing soccer with sticks while they're skating. Like, and right. these are big dudes like skating like super gracefully all the time. It's right. amazing. Like and fighting skating. And, yeah. and 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 changing directions and it's amazing that people don't get hurt. I mean, it just goes to show you how second nature skating comes to those people cuz yeah. you can't like Going back to us as pathetic actors, like you have to have your lines down pat, or else you can't really express any kind of emotion. Like right. these guys have to have the skating down, like it's nothing right. it's in order breathing. to be able to play that game. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't put skates on in many, many years, but um, I'm not sure I'd be much help to my children <laughs> on the ice.
0: I can't I can barely I I can, I mean I've like gone out in Rockefeller Center and like done the thing I can it's just pathetic like it's just I'm a danger to myself and others that's what yeah. it is.
1: I'll but stick I'm to moving wheels.
0: so slowly that people can like avoid like the little like 3-year-old girls who are like super good at skating somehow yeah. already can like easily go around me or just through like, your legs. Yeah, so easily. So it's just it's just really I mean yeah. it makes me feel bad to try to skate. It's just, like, But you
1: are helping young women's self-esteem from a very early age. Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, March 24th, 2023.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshir, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.